Christianity is a way of life. It is a way of living. It is living following Jesus. We love the word of God here at Calvary and the Bible by conviction sets the agenda for our discussion each Sunday morning. We are at Romans chapter 13, one through seven. Some believe politics and culture wars and quests for earthly power have poisoned gospel faith in America. Is it true? Is that what you believe? Some gospel people believe government is the answer. Other gospel people believe government is the problem. What are we supposed to believe? What are we supposed to teach our children about government and human government and how to understand it? What is its purpose? Where do we go to find firm footing for an understanding of human governance? Let's turn to God's word and what Paul discusses in Romans chapter 13 to find our answers this morning. We need clear thinking here. What does a gospel Christian who is faithful to Christ look like as she relates, as he relates to human government? Here we are on the cusp of yet another presidential election cycle. We are ready to be thundered with all that comes with that. There's never been a day when it is more important for us to understand with clarity how to think and how to live and how to respond. In this case, what's before us this morning, to human government. Romans 13, 1 through 7, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. 
Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Hear the word of the Lord. Now we come to Romans 13, which follows Romans 12, which follows Romans 1 through 11. Isn't that a fascinating insight? (laughs) When he finishes discussing uh, the glory of the gospel of righteousness and deals with his dealings with Jewish people as heirs to the promise, he then gets to Romans 12. The first two verses how gospel Christians relate to God, presenting their lives to him as a sacrifice. Verses 3 through 8 of chapter 12, you will remember, he talks about how to steward our gifts before the Lord and in life. Then he talks about how to relate to one another in God's good family in verses 9 through 16 of chapter 12. And then verses 17 through 21, he talks about how to relate to our enemies. And then we get to chapter 13, and he discusses how to relate to human governance. This morning, I want to go two different directions. First, three central assertions in these seven important verses. Secondly, four questions which are going to search our hearts, and we need to ask them and ponder them before the Lord today. And I'm glad you're here. Thank you for coming. First of all, the institution of government is established by God for humanity's good. The institution of government is established by God for humanity's good. Notice with me the three assertions of God's word. Assertion number one is in verse 2. All authority belongs to God and is delegated to those who govern. Notice what it says. For there is no authority except from God. Full stop. That's an extraordinary statement. Eric, is there authority in the world? Yes. And it all belongs to God and is derivative from him. He has it all and levies it to whom he chooses to exercise governance. There is no authority except from God. All authority is derived from God. Is that how you look at governing authorities around our globe? That's how the word of God would urge us to perceive it. Think of that exchange between Pilate and Jesus in John 19. I will turn to it. Just listen to it with me. Pilate, and this would send a chill up the spine of anyone, unless maybe you're Pilate. Pilate addressing to him, Jesus, you will not speak to me? He's not answering Pilate's question. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. 
at least for half a second in that moment, I think Pilate rethought his perception of authority. And the word of God is urging us to have a particular mindset and a particular perception of authority and governing authority in our world. Now this gets better. Look at verse 4. Twice he calls people in government God's servants. Now that word servant is the same word uh, for the office in the church of deacon, one who serves. Diakonos, that's, it's the, the noun. So what he's saying is people and government are God's deacons. Is that how you view people in Congress? Is that how you view governors and presidents and cabinet members? They're God's deacons. It gets better. Look at verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are, here it is again, ministers of God. And he uses a particular term. He goes into the vocabulary of the sacrifice, the sacred life of Israel in the Old Testament. They're liturgical servants who made everything work at the temple. And he picks out a noun and he says, governing authorities are one of those. Ministers of God. Now, is this how we view those who hold delegated authority from the living God? Remember, Isaiah said of Cyrus, 700 years before Jesus was born, a Jewish prophet named Isaiah, call the Medo-Persian tyrant national state leader named Cyrus. Here's what he said of him in Isaiah 44, 28. Who says of Cyrus, he, this is God talking about him, he is my shepherd and he shall fulfill all my purpose. You say, Eric, well, what is this first assertion? Give, give me one implication of this first assertion. Okay, here's one implication of the first assertion. How you like this? It was the will of God in Christ Jesus and is today that Joe Biden would be the president of the United States of America. Delegated authority, sovereignly given him by God. I want to write in my margin, quiet here. Second essential assertion, followers of Christ are to subject themselves to these God-ordained authorities. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3 again. He starts with a command. It's how the chapter opens. Let every person, every is there, every person be subject to the governing authorities. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's not, now this is a suggestion for some of you who can stand it. No, it's for every follower of Jesus. 
Be subject to the governing authorities. Eric, I can't believe you're up there saying that. Do you realize the kind of tyrants that there's been through history? No, no, we just, we kind of pick and choose. Oh, really? Do you realize that there are times when out of our commitment to righteous living and our holy God, we might not obey what we are commanded to do. There's precedent for this, but it's more rare. It's certainly the exception rather than the rule. For example, Pharaoh was a tyrant, was he not? When he told those Hebrew midwives, now when you catch the baby boys, kill them. And they said to themselves, we're not going to do that. And they didn't. Uh, you get Daniel, and they told him, I, the, the law of the Medes and the Persians, whatever you do, don't pray. Daniel said, I'm not, not praying. Then he got a free trip to the lion's den and night in the bed and breakfast there. That turned out okay for him. The three Hebrew children, hey, bow down and worship this idol. They said, no. We are not to have any other gods before him. And so they didn't. Went in the end of the fiery furnace. Are there places in Scripture where authorities were defied? Yes, they're there, but you have to hunt around for them and peck around to find them. They're more the exception than they are the rule. And the command is to subject ourselves to the authority. You get to Acts 5, Peter, whatever you do, don't tell anybody about Jesus. Peter said, I, I can't obey that. Am I to obey God or man, he asked in Acts 5.29. But it's important for us to keep in mind that this command is levied in the passage. While there are exceptions The rule is to subject ourselves to the authorities. Think of when this was written in the first century. Why, did, does someone have the notion that Caesar was a born-again Christian and really sympathetic to the church of Jesus Christ and its movement throughout the Roman Empire? You heard Zach and Merrill read those passages and they, they read them well this morning. I appreciated it with clarity. A Peter is writing right as Nero's persecution is taking off. And what does he say? Subject yourselves to the emperor. And they're on the run. Remember, they're the people scattered. That's how he begins the first chapter. In subjecting ourselves to the authorities God has set up, we are subjecting ourselves to God. Faithful Christians subject themselves to the authorities God has installed over them. Isn't that what the word of God says? The third essential assertion is this. Government is to reward good and punish evil. Look in particular at verses Four and five. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword 
in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection. Well, if God has established the institution of human government for which we are to have respect, what is its purpose? What is its function? Its purpose is to reward good and suppress evil. Now, we need to talk about this term sword in Romans 13.4. Now, if you go back to Romans 8, in those glorious verses that we looked at, in, as Paul makes the argument that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? What is he talking about? He's talking about the sword taking our life. That not even being killed for our faith or for some other reason would cut us off. They may cut off our head, but they will not cut us off from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's what he means by this term sword. So he goes over here in Romans 13. Government's been given a sword. What in the world is a government supposed to do with its sword? Put down evil. Since Augustine, arguments have been marshaled in the church of Jesus Christ for just war thinking. That there are circumstances in which human government can pick up the sword to wield it to put down evil. I remember I, I was in one community and the local university called and they wanted to have a debate about two things. Number one, whether at our founding uh, America was a Christian nation, and two, whether uh, pacifism was the way of Christ or not. And uh, they had this extraordinary guy uh, from Duke, actually, and he's really bright, and he was very kind to me, but I, I was supposed to debate him, and um, um, the debate just really turned into a discussion about Romans 13.4 and what is meant by the human government being given the sword. And I, I, he, he made an eloquent argument as an Anabaptist for, uh, he read a paper on pacifism, and then um, they asked for my response, and, um, you know, I read Romans 13.4, that human government's given the sword to put down evil. By the way, I want a government that puts down evil. Now, it has been observed that uh, governance in Western culture, we're much better at trying to face evil than we are exalting the good, affirming the good. We're better at putting evil, you know. And, and we're in the midst of an incredible moment of criminal justice reform, and nobody incarcerates more people per capita, I'm told, than uh, America. We have more people in jail, and so there, there, there's effort, it's unsustainable financially, so there are other movements afoot that are trying to change all of this. And obviously, you can understand that we're starting to lose the edge around of law and order as a result of this. Uh, there's an article this morning 
I saw that I didn't read it. I just looked at the headlines. I'm all, I always look at the headlines on Sunday morning in case the world blew up while we were all sleeping because I know that'd be on your mind as we come together to approach our Lord. But there's one headline that talks about uh, a growing trend that's a real problem for Congress is uh, armed robbery for the congressmen as they're poking around Washington, D.C. And they're trying to figure out how to, how to face this. Um, human governance. Uh, how we face this. Uh, it's to reward good and punish evil. And what he argues in this passage is that we don't have to be afraid of our government if we're doing what we ought to be doing. I remember when I was a young adolescent hanging around with my older cousin who hung around with some nefarious individuals and uh, they concocted a scheme that we were all to go to the county fair that night. Well, we got in a pack of adolescent boys in the car. Somebody had a driver's license, and it was kind of one of my first uh, outings out by myself. And no sooner we got in the car, and they started cooking up this way, hey, we're not going to pay to get in. I thought, man, what, where is this going? And so they conceived of this plan to get in without paying. And so we got on this back road before we went up to the gate and they stopped the car and opened the trunk and several of them jumped in the trunk and laid down there and they closed the trunk and I know there was me and the driver in the front seat and I was shaking like a leaf and had the, you know, $3 in my hand. You know, I was sure that, um, you know, I, just, I could hear my mom saying, be sure your sins will find you out, you know. And she always sang to me. Uh, that little song, be careful, little hands, what you do, <laughs> be careful, little feet, you know, as I was leaving, probably because I needed to hear that before I left. But anyway, uh, I was all afraid, and I handed my $3 in, and I was certain we were all going to be arrested and put in the penitentiary for many years for those four guys or two guys or whoever it was in the trunk, you know, getting in. You know what? Um, if you're doing what you should do, you don't have to fear anything. One sad part of the whole Hatfield and McCoy feud thing is that Anderson Hatfield's sons lived a lot of their adult life in this, they slept at night in this rotten cave that nobody knew where it was because there was big bounties put on them and all these bounty hunters wanted to arrest them all the time. And so they, they slept out there. That's a horrible place. That's a, that's a bad thing. But you know what? If you do what you're supposed to do, you don't, have to fear it. But he argues, don't do what you're supposed to do so you don't have to fear. Do it out of conscience sake. Do it out of your yearning to have a clean conscience before the Lord. By the way, is my conscience clean before the Lord this morning? Is your conscience clean before the Lord this morning? There's something glorious about just living wide open before the Lord with all of our might for him, not being afraid of somebody saying something that could be said about us that's rotten because it's true. And so he's making this argument, the sword. By the way, earlier he's argued that personally we are to take no vengeance upon anyone. Remember, vengeance is mine. You gotta keep reading, saith the Lord. I will repay. So God takes care of that. And we are not to take care of that. But it's interesting. He calls human government in verse 4 an avenger. Isn't there a superhero? I don't watch those movies, but isn't there a superhero movie, you know, the avenger? 
an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. God does that, and one of his means to that end is using human government. So government is to reward good and punish evil. By the way, this is where a Christian view, yes, I'm putting those two notions together, a Christian view of capital punishment comes. That the government is given the sword to put down evil, and it is just in circumstances where uh, the guilty has been involved in capital crimes. How about four questions that probe our hearts? This passage probes our hearts with four different questions. It's a bit of a heart catheter down four critical arteries. Four questions. Number one, does our heart rest in the knowledge that all authority belongs to the living God? I just can't get over this line. For there is no authority except from God. If you believe that, it'll change how you emotionally absorb the news that we face in this world. Say, Eric, this world's coming unglued. Look at Gaza. It is an absolute mess. They're evacuating People from northern Israel because Hezbollah is sending rockets. That's an absolute mess. They bombed Janine last night in the, on the West Bank. And now it's getting all stirred up. And on three fronts of Israel, it's just a mess. And the Iranian-backed rebels in Yemen fired rockets that we shot down. And our fleets there in the Mediterranean, they're getting hit. Yeah, all that's true. So... Don't you know that China and India are getting together with Russia and they're going to push back against the G20 and they, they want to dislodge this dominance that we've had in the West and get us away from good stuff. This is awful. Did, did, Eric, did, 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 don't you know they're going to take the dollar and have not it not be the standard for oil and it's it's going to get it on something else and you know China manipulates their yen all the time and this is going to cause a catastrophic financial collapse and it's horrible and do you know that dude that's ahead of North Korea you know how bad that is and you know China we can't trust them they're 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 scouring the earth, stealing every trade secret of every great corporation in the West. And it's a total mess. And I, I can't even sleep at night. And, and I, I just thumb through my phone and read more news and get more anxious. And, and then I try to sleep and it's worse. How about this? There is no authority except from God. What more do you need to know? Eric Alexander, the Scottish Presbyterian preacher, he came to our church and preached a couple of times where I served before. He preached a masterful two messages on Revelation 4 and 5, the throne room of God. And I will die remembering him say, the wonder of the throne room of heaven is you get there and you look up at the throne and someone is seated on the throne. And it's the ancient of days. 
It's the Son of Man. And there is no authority except from God. Remember what Jesus said after the resurrection? I love it. All power and authority has been given to me. I don't know about you, but I want to run toward the person who has all the authority. Don't you? My buddy is the head of crew at the Ohio State University. He's a wonderful man. Came to Christ. Grew up in Soviet Georgia. And married a sweet American girl. And after they got married, he wanted to take his bride back home and have a big party. Soviet Georgian style. So they did. Took the wedding party over with them. He was from a prominent family there. His dad, super high up in medicine. His dad was good friends with uh, the dude named Shebernadza, who was the prime minister there for a while, who was one of Gorbachev's associates. But anyway, all the ladies before the party went down to the spa to get their hair done, their nails. You know, they had to look great to go to this Georgian reception. They were all fired up. Right as they get to walk in the spa, you know, I've, I think I may have told you this before, but it's worth repeating they had a rolling brownout. And so all these ladies are on the cusp of, you know, getting all done up. And, there's, and the electricity grid goes down. And so the bride calls her husband and says, look, Bacho, this is what happened. Oh, he said, okay, all right, well, let me call my dad. So he called his dad, who made another call. And they're all standing there outside this Place spa, suddenly all the lights come back on <laughs> and they went in, got cared for, and kept going. If you know the right people, you can get things done. And his dad made a call. It actually reshaped the grid in the capital city there and uh, got all hooked up and they had a great party. All power and authority has been given to me. There is no power and authority other than God that's been delegated through government. Oh, to rest in the sovereign judgment he has levied with his use of authority. Do you trust him enough to allow him to do that? Do we give God space to give some authority to govern that we would not you ever said to yourself, you know what, if I was running the world, I wouldn't do what God just did. Have you ever went to bed at the end of an election cycle night and said to yourself, wow, that was interesting. Or worse, what was wrong with God today? Did he take the day off? Because, of course, we knew better than God on how it was supposed to turn out in relation to his plan for our world. Remember, the beatitude of the unoffended, as Vance Havner called it. Don't ever forget what Jesus said when they brought that word. Hey, John the Baptist is trying to figure out, is he supposed to trust in you? Are you the one, or do we look for somebody else? Get on with the program, Jesus. And Jesus said, blessed is he who's not offended in me. Or what Vance Havner said was, blessed is he who's not offended about the way I do my business. 
Do we give God space to give some authority to govern that we would not? What did Nebuchadnezzar say? The great king of Babylon in Daniel chapter 2, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. What did Daniel say in Daniel chapter 5 and verse 21? The most high God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. Remember Habakkuk's issue with God? Habakkuk said, God, why don't you tell me what you're doing? You never let me know what you're doing. I just kind of get upset about it. By the way, has any of us ever felt like Habakkuk? Oh, he said, I, I, if I told you what I'm doing, you wouldn't believe me and it would upset you. Oh, try me out. I'll believe you and I'll accept it. Okay, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to bring Babylon down and I'm going to discipline my people with Babylon. What? Are you kidding me? How can you, a holy God, use those dirtbags to inflict wounds upon your own people? What's wrong with you? I'm going to go up here and I'm going to sit and think about this in the tower for a little while. That's the book of Habakkuk. And it ends with Habakkuk saying, of course, and it becomes the anchor verse for the book of Romans, the just shall live by faith in this one who has all of the authority. You know what's true? He's got the whole world in his hands. Is that our view of God? Where do you get your view of God and governance? New York Times, Atlantic Monthly, CNN, MSNBC. No, Eric, I'll tell you what, I'll get mine from Fox News. How about the Bible? And our sovereign Lord, who has instituted human government, for the good of the people living there. If you are sick of government ready to do away with it, why don't you go live in Somalia for a couple of months? Or try out Haiti right now, who are bleeding out of people and chaos because there's no state there. Does human government always go perfect? Absolutely not other than perfectly in sync with the unfolding of God's sovereign plan as he takes all of history to that wonderful moment that we all look forward to when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Uh, third question, are we developing an overly eager appetite for civil disobedience? After COVID, you may not like this message, but before COVID, Romans 13, 1 through 7 was here. During COVID, Romans 13, 1 through 7 was here. And after COVID, Romans 13, 1 through 7 was here. And that's not a carte blanche blessing on every governmental decision through the pandemic. It's just we have to reckon with the word of God in our disposition toward governance. After COVID, the passage can read like a totalitarian piece of communistic literature. This is a word of God. Please note that the Bible, with rare exceptions, notes resistance to government. 
first century was not the Massachusetts Bay Colony with increase in cotton mather. The first century was Caesar, a godless pagan who created a lot of anarchy for the church and persecution. That's when this is written. It's amazing. 1 Peter 2.13. Did you you read it? Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. This is to the people who are scattered with the pressure on. In fear, some gospel Christians have begun to push back with belligerence. That's not the spirit of the kingdom of God. That does not mean there's never a moment that we do not stand up for holy reasons when our conscience is violated by what we are asked to do. But note in scripture that those were always the exceptions rather than the rule. Are we developing an overly eager appetite for civil disobedience? Do you realize that a faithful gospel Christian cheers and prays for those God has put in office to do well? We may get to constructive civil disobedience, but let's not foolishly hasten the day and make every issue an issue of conscience. Finally, do we have our renderings right? Matthew 22 is a fascinating passage where two groups who didn't get along came together to stand up against Christ. The Herodians and the Pharisees concocted a question to entrap Jesus. Hey, let's ask him a no-win question that'll turn the crowd away from him. Let's ask him whether or not we are to pay taxes. Hey, Jesus, are we to pay taxes to Caesar? Oh, we got him now. We got him. And Jesus startled them when he said, give me a coin. Give me a denarii. He said, a coin? What for? And he held it up. And he asked him a question. Whose image is on this coin? Well, Caesar's. He said, well, here's the deal. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And to God the things that are God's. We are all made in the image of God. We are made to relate to this God. And notwithstanding our sin, which we've inherited from Adam, God sent his son to bring us into fellowship with him through his death that resolved the barrier of our relatedness to him in our sin. And his resurrection, which brought us out of despair in this old broken world unto a hope that lasts forever and we are then to render ourselves to our Lord we're made in his image made for him we are to give ourselves to the Lord so here's the question do we have our renderings right by the way in the last 40 years I think I have heard an argument for not paying taxes because of a commitment to gospel Christianity. 
I don't know how you marshal that argument next to the self-evident lines of pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So we are to render to our government what we ought to render. But are we rendering to God our own lives? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you started a relationship with him? Are you living conscious that you were made in his image to relate to him? And are you finding the wellspring of your life and your highest joy in knowing Jesus Christ as Savior? I invite you to him. Essentially, Paul unpacks Matthew twenty-two twenty-one: render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and render to God the things that are God's in these seven verses. So, how do we view government? Are we praying for those who are in governance? There's only one authority that God has placed. Now, does that mean we roll over and don't involve ourselves in a political process? We don't vote? We just are fatalists? No, I'm not saying that at all. I pray, I vote, you ask me, I'll share my opinion. God has surprised me and pointed out many times that my opinion was not his will. Shall I go with him or my own? I'm going to defer to him. And while that's being playful in conversation, what's not playful is a generation growing up that is missing the fact that God established human governance for our good. And it's simply delegated authority that comes from him. And that as a society, we do well to live that quiet, peaceable life in recognizing his good plans for humanity and doing everything we could, pleading for the Success of those who govern. Hear the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. What an interesting passage that probes attitudes and thoughts in our age, some of which, Lord, we fear we've picked up from cultural angst against gospel Christianity. Help us to live so that on the great day we will not experience shame in your presence, but we'll find ourselves having rendered a clean conscience to you at home, in your presence, and with joy, greeting you at your coming. Oh, Father, have mercy upon those who govern Have mercy upon our country, upon global leaders who are working. Grant wisdom and grace. Thank you that we can have every earnest confidence in your authority that you're working in your world. There's nothing about your plan that is getting off track. Bring us to respond in ways that would honor you and make Jesus, who holds all that authority, pleased 
with how we respond. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.